Anyone watch Columbo? Do you remember Columbo? I've been watching it mainly because it's one of the few things where there's no swearing, there's no sex scenes. But in Columbo, if you remember, every episode is like, my wife needs that, my wife. But you never see his wife, Mrs. Columbo. She's never there. Well, here is my wife. And uh, yeah, good to have her with us. Um, I'm still just kind of rambling because my brain is not quite there. I took a glance through the lending library. If you have not yet taken some books out of there or DVDs, there is some really good stuff there. One book in particular, I was actually thinking of bringing it up here to say who wants it, but Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets, that book has impacted me, like next to the Bible, that book, um, Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets, it it is really uh, very, very good. I, I won't, yeah, if you want to, if you want to grow in your faith, don't wait for someone to disciple you. We need to disciple, make sure that we are following. I, I learned so much from m- my senior pastor. Um, Chloe met him, I think, Donovan Kutsia. Uh, Donovan mentored me, but you know how, how often I would meet with Donovan? Maybe once a year? I was his youth pastor. We, I worked in an office just down the passage from him. But we would chat maybe once a year. And when I said to him, you know, you're supposed to be mentoring me, he said, go and read about Elijah and Elisha. And I did. And Elisha went to Elijah because God had called him and said, you know, I, I want to follow you. And Elijah said to him, well, you know, what's that to me? And he just carried on. But Elisha took the initiative and pushed into his mentor. And we need to have that same attitude. Don't wait for someone to disciple you. Don't think, oh, the pastor needs to do this or the elders need to do it. No, no, you take responsibility. Get hold of Dutch Sheets. Read that book and your life will be changed. Okay, are we ready? I'm almost ready. I want you please to stand to your feet uh, and you can remain seated. And then um, I want you to put that down. Um, yeah, we are doing stretches. We are doing stretches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alison can show you what to do. So, so here's your stretches. You want to you start off. Don't stand on the remote. There we go. Okay, make a nice big circle from the bottom all the way up. Come on and breathe in. There you go. Now, as you breathe out, lower your hands. There we go. And now raise your hands again. Another deep breath in. And spread your arms apart. There we go. Now, give yourselves a hand. Well done. You have just covered the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis. Yeah, you have. Can, can we put the slides on? Did I turn off? It's on. There we go. This is what we're trying to do, is um, find out what God is doing on earth, and more importantly, what role you and I have to play in that. And the only way we're going to discover that, oh, the only way we're going to discover that is when we read the Bible. 
because God's plan is right there in the scriptures. And so starting with the book of Genesis, if we understand what God is doing, and Genesis quite easily is divided up, so let's just do a quick little test. No, still nothing. Okay. See, I usually bring my remote. Here we go. (laughs) Advance it to the next one for me in the meantime. There we go. So Genesis is divided up into four main events and four Bible characters. That's Genesis. Quick and easy. The four main events, you've just covered them. Creation. God created absolutely everything. And here's the deal, is that everything that God created was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then... Thank you. Oh, look at that. Um, And then the next big event, so we've gone creation, and then there was the fall, the fall of mankind. Um, And Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of that sin, now here's the important part. As a result of that sin, this was part of what God said, um, part of the curse, Genesis chapter three, verse 15, speaking to the devil in the form of the serpent and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now the the direct translation of that is seed And, and this is interesting because this is the first and only time in the Bible where a child is referred to as being the seed of a woman. Usually it's the seed of man. Um, but this is, and obviously, as Christians, and we, we've read the end of the book, the next part, we, we know that this is actually referring to the fact that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. Um, but, but here's the thing. Between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's what's been going on the whole time. From all the way back then, let's not get into how many thousands of years, whether it's young earth, old earth, I don't know, we don't need to know. If we needed to know, God would have told us exactly. We don't need to know. But Satan has been at God's plan the whole time, trying at his heel the whole time. And you may have experienced that in your own life. Every time when you think something's going well, but who's in charge? God, God. And so, yeah, creation, fall, God sent the flood, and then he divided up the nations. That's what those four main events are. And then we come straight smack bang into these four Bible characters. First one being Abraham, and then Abraham had two sons. It was Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, When I, I do the walk through the Bible um, seminar, you know, the, the, the signs are Ishmael and Isaac because you point to your eyes because they both start with I, but Isaac, you point to your right eye um, because he was, the, he was the right eye, yeah. Uh, Isaac, and then Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob, and Jacob had loads of sons, but 
the one who is really spoken about in Genesis is Joseph. But I'm going to talk today about one of the sons who is not Joseph, um, into that a little bit later. But God said to Abraham, so God created everything perfectly. Satan's trying to destroy God's plan, God's purposes. God's purpose is, and this is repeated again and again in the covenants that he makes with mankind, there's three things. I will be your God, you will be my people, I will live with you. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. That, that's how the story ends. God is our God, we are his people, and we're living with him. That's what was happening in the Garden of Eden. You see, he has the, the fascinating thing with the Bible is where we start reading the Bible determines where we're going to finish. If we start reading at Genesis chapter 3, which is where mankind sins, then we think the story of the Bible is, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. We end in Revelation chapter 4, where everyone's saved and the saints are worshiping at the throne of Jesus. But if we start in Genesis chapter 1, where God created everything perfect, then we read all the way through to where God restores everything to perfection. The Bible is not about us. It, it's not, wow, do I dare say this? It is not our handbook for living. It's not a book of good advice. The Bible is a living book. It's the, oh, there's some great books there that we can read. The difference with the Bible is that it reads us. The, the Bible is there to introduce us to God. And if, if you're reading the Bible looking for what you can take out of it, well, yeah, there's loads that you actually can, but you're missing the point. <laughs> because actually you should be reading the Bible saying, what does this tell me about God? And so God creates everything perfectly and it finishes up with everything perfect. And then as we go through Genesis, we see God's plan becoming clearer and clearer. He, he takes this one individual whose name is Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Uh, and, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. So now God narrows down his plan to one family, Abraham. And, and then from Abraham, Satan's now trying to destroy God's plan. So he and his wife can't have a child. But who wins? God performs an absolute miracle. When he's 100 years old. Jeff, how old are you? <laughs> but, but just the, the, the reality, I mean, think of someone who's 100 years old fathering a child that's our God because there is no ways that Satan is going to disrupt what God has said is going to happen have you been holding on to promises in your life and thinking when is it going to happen you know I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying but but God trust and then we Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joseph. But let, let, let's just for a second go back to um, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben was the oldest. Joseph was the second youngest. Benjamin was the youngest. But there was this guy, Judah. And he's, he's the man I want to focus on today. Judah. Why Judah? Well, because Jesus came from this line. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And so God was narrowing, we can see his, his plan narrowing. Abraham, Judah, the Messiah is going to come, the one who's going to crush the head of Satan. Satan's trying to stop that from happening, and so he's always at the heel. Jacob, when he was prophesying and blessing his children, this is what he said when Judah came to his bed. Puts his hand on Judah's head and he, he prophesies, and part of this prophecy is the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Who is that? Jesus. So now we know who Satan is going to try and get at his heel. Judah. So let's have a look at a bit of Judah's story. We first kind of read about Judah when he's sitting with his brothers and of course their younger brother Joseph. Come on, we know the story with his technicolor dream coat and uh, the gift of God on his life. I mean, there are so many lessons that we can learn from this. You know, when, when God has called you and he's put, given you prophecies and dreams, hey, those things, you don't go and brag about them. You take them to God in prayer and you say, God, will you just do this in your own time? But not Joseph. He's a snotty-nosed 17-year-old who, who is arrogant because he's spoiled. And he goes and tells his brothers, hey, you're all going to be bowing down to me. And hey, mum and dad, just by the way, you will as well. And of course, you know, he hadn't yet read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> hadn't been written yet, unfortunately. Um, so so he's, his brothers don't like him. So his brothers are out looking after the sheep and or the goats or both, I don't know. And they see this rainbow approaching, this coat of many colors. And they reckon, hey, let's solve our problems. Let's just kill him. We, we can, you know, and there's a bit of, oh, what do we do? What do we do? So anyway, they, when he comes, they beat him up, throw him in a well. Now they're trying to plan, what do we do? And Judah, Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite trailers, traders that are coming. Let's sell him to them. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood and, and the rest of the brothers agreed. So let's make a bit of money out of him. And so, I mean, you can read the story for yourself. They sell him to the slave traders and gets taken off to Egypt and becomes a slave and Satan thinks, okay, I've won that part of the plan and next minute God turns it around and Joseph is 
the most important man on the planet. But that's not what we, where we're going to at this stage. So Judah, we're going to join up with Judah a little bit later, Genesis chapter 38. All that's happened to Joseph. Joseph is in prison in Egypt at this stage. And, and Judah, about this time, Judah leaves home and he moves to Adullam where he stayed with a man named Hirah. And there he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. And when he slept with her, he had three sons. Three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, or Shelah, Shelah. Not Sheila, I think, I don't know, that's a little bit confusing. Shelah, S-H-E-L-A-H. Probably Shlach, I don't know how they would say that. H is pronounced as a ch. Um, so he has these three sons. And what happens is his oldest son, Ur, he meets up with this woman, falls hopelessly in love with her, marries her, and then dies. Why did he die? Well, the line is going to come through Judah. Satan's trying to prevent the line from happening. And so Ur dies without having a child. And the custom of the day, I know this sounds really weird to us, but the custom of the day was that the wife if her husband, especially if it's the oldest son in the family, if her husband dies, then the brother needs to take her as his wife in order to father a child so that the inheritance can get passed down and the family line is maintained. And so now Tamar becomes the wife of Onan. And you can read the story for yourself. It's quite explicit, um, but let's just say Onan, he doesn't want his brother's children to get the inheritance that his children should have, and so he makes sure that he does whatever is necessary. He, he uses the ancient equivalent of condoms to make sure that he does not father a child with Tamar. And guess what happens? He dies. And so now, Judah's got one more son. And Tamar comes to Judah and says, okay, two down, one to go. But now Judah, he loves his children. He's only got one left. And he's thinking, this woman... What is it about her? You know, my sons marry her and they die. This is my youngest. I'd so he says to Tamar, I tell you what, different plan. Sheila is still very young. Why, why don't we wait for him to grow up? And, and then he can be your husband. So in the meantime, you go back to your father let him look after you. And then when 
Sheila is old enough to marry you. I'll call for you. Satan thinks, yes. Tamar goes back and just for a second, imagine what it would have been like for her. Now, I'm so glad we are living in 2023 when we realize that men and women are equal in God's eyes. Um, culturally, in that time, a woman's only worth came from her ability, bless you, her, own, her worth came from her ability to produce children. If you can't have babies, you're not worth anything. I mean, that, that, that's shocking. That really is. But that's how it was. And so now she got, imagine the disgrace. Imagine the shame. Imagine, I mean, if we talk mental health issues, but, but I mean, back then they didn't have therapists, counselors, medication, understanding. It was just, she went back to her father's house in disgrace and she, every morning when she got out of bed, when she had the energy to get out of bed, she would put on a widow's clothing. She would mourn and she did this day after day, week after week, year after year. And Judah does not call for her and say, my son is ready. Verse 12 of 38, that's very small. So I will read it for you. Some years later, Judah's wife dies. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hirah, the Adalamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up. But no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing, covers herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and he thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and he propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. Now, again, our culture, our time, this is seriously bad stuff. How much will you pay to have sex with me? Tamar asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat, she asked. Well, what kind of guarantee do you want? He replied. She answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord. Man, this woman's clever. Leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick that you're carrying. I think that was just a bonus. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. 
You see, Satan was trying. Afterwards, she goes back home, takes off her veil, puts on her widow's clothing as usual. And come on, we all know, you can't have a baby and keep it quiet. And so she starts getting bigger and people notice. Now, you know what the law was? She's obviously been sleeping around. I mean, you don't just have a child unless your name's Mary, but that's only in a couple of thousand years time. So word gets back to Judah that his daughter-in-law has been sleeping around. And we know this because she's pregnant. And he says, well, we gotta do what we gotta do. Bring her over, let's stone her to death. And so as they go to fetch her, she says, yeah, you're right. I do have a child, but these things belong to the man who is the father. Take them to Judah. Judah's face went all shades of red. It doesn't say that in the Bible. He realized, and one of the things that he said was, she's been more honorable than me. Because he realized. And, and just to, to kind of show you that she was being more honorable, let's just have a look at, at what Tamar was entitled to do. And, and, and bear in mind that you, know, you and I, we live in a culture of right and wrong. We, we live according to a moral paradigm. We, we think when we see a picture of Jesus on the cross, we think he paid for my sins because everything is right and wrong, punishment, evil, good. It, it, that's the way our culture is. In the Middle East, it wasn't about morality. It was about honor, shame. If, if somebody from the Middle East looks at a picture of Jesus on the cross, they don't think he paid for my sins. They think he's naked. He took my shame. It, it's about honor and shame. And so ju just the, the concept, okay? Think of what Tamar was, was able to do. In Deuteronomy, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears will carry the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel he will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, here's what she was entitled to do. His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Now we might think, well, that's kind of funny. 
you know, when I was a youth pastor, I would joke about this kind of stuff. But this is serious. I mean, we're talking about the grandson of Abraham, like the, the patriarch being known as the family of the unsandaled. Disgrace. Satan thinks, yes. God says, no, no, I've got another plan. I've got another plan. We jump all the way to Matthew. We're looking at the genealogy of Jesus now. Genealogy, genealogy. Genealogy, thank you. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. In brackets, if you want to do your own Bible study, go through Matthew chapter one and there's three occasions where there's four occasions where there's brackets. Do a study on the brackets. Um, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, Tamar's son, Tamar and Judah. I mean, Judah was both the father and grandfather of these children. Remember that song, I'm my own grandpa. Um, <laughs> it gets a little bit interesting. But Judah was the father of Perez. And Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, brackets, whose mother was a prostitute. the heel whose mother was Rahab Boaz was a father of Obed whose mother was a Moabitess whose mother was Ruth Obed was the father of Jesse Jesse was the father of King David David was the father of Solomon whose mother was raped by the king And of course, Jesse, father of David, David, etc., etc. We know from the Christmas story that we're about to be hearing lots of in the months to come um, is that David, the city of Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary from Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah. God is in charge. God's plan from the beginning. And you know what the good news is? We are part of the plan. And we might be sitting here now thinking, God's not doing things my way. Okay, sorry, let's, let's make that more gracious. God, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Because God, I can see how things should work out. Come on, God. God's in charge. God has a plan. And, and you know, have you heard of imposter syndrome? I think so many times we can, we whip ourselves, you know, we punish ourselves. We think, I don't deserve to be a part of God's plan. 
And maybe that's why it's not happening for me. Maybe that's why. Because I don't feel like I deserve it. I, I feel like, you know, my father-in-law has just forgotten me. Nobody wants to marry me. I can't have children. Or I feel like, you know, the, the only thing I can do is I've got to feed my children. The only way I'm going to get money is to be a prostitute. Rahab. You know, I, how can I be a part of God's plan? I, I'm part of the people who, who, who God cursed because of what we did. If, if you want to know about the Moabites and why the children of Israel did, cannot get on with the Moabites, read about Balaam and, and, and what Balaam did. They, I, they, how could I be a part of God's plan? Because I'm a Moabite. How could I possibly be involved in God's plan? Because I'm damaged goods. I was raped. And I was raped by someone really important. And I can't speak about it. You know, I, I really hope that none of us here have been in any of those four extreme situations. But if we have, God still has a plan. And yes, we may think that because of the devil at the heel, we might think, no, let me just write myself off. Nobody understands me. I'll just sit at the back of church and pretend that nothing's happened. I'll, I'll just, no. God has a plan. God's purposes will prevail. But I'm, uh, I just can't. I don't know who said this. Maybe it's, it's some Latin bloke. He's, he's actually quite famous. Anonymous. <laughs> he says quite a few things. When God put a calling on your life, he already factored in our stupidity. All the mistakes I've made do not disqualify me. If only I could do that again. God is bigger than our mistakes. Some, just some encouragement from the word about the, the sure, the, God's purposes and plans. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. That's the story of the Bible. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them.
That's not just nice words to have on a tattoo. That's the reality. But God, why are you taking so long? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Wow. And then, I love this one. I even put a different background on. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Look what's in orange there. God says, for I know. Now when I see that, I ask the question, well, why did God say, for I know? Well, the implication is, you don't. He knows. We don't. It's not about what we want him to do for us. We don't know. Alison said something the other day, and it's, well, it's now some months back, but I, I haven't been able to get this thought out of my head. You've probably heard me say it before. When we can't see what God is doing, it's because we can't see what God is doing. He knows the plans that he has for us. So what does that mean? What is, what is our job? What, 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 what? If, if God's plans are to bring us all to the place, and he promises that, you know, nothing's going to shake us. He's going to bring us to that. What, what do we do? Well, our role is to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to not lean on our own understanding, but, but to seek his will in everything that we do. And, and he will show us which path to take. And every now and again, in my stubbornness, in my sinfulness, I'm going to want to take my own path. And I need to just acknowledge that, yeah, I am being tempted. God's trying to distract, uh, Satan's trying to distract me from God's plans. But God has already factored my stupidity and my stubbornness into his calling. You know, you can get yourself thrown off a ship. God will send a big fish to take you to where he wants you to be. Nothing can stop God from doing what he has said he's going to do. God Thank you for the, the surety, the steadfastness of your promises. Thank you that you promised to complete the good work that you started in us. Just as I'm praying, just... What's going on 
in your heart right now might be a matter of, God, I've messed up big time. I am so sorry. Why don't you just, in the quietness of your heart, just admit to him that you need him now more than anything else. And not just that you need him, but that you trust his ways, his purposes. God, I trust you. Even though at times it does not seem that you have my best interests at heart. But this morning, I acknowledge before you that I know that whatever happens, you are always in control and that you are working out your purposes through my life. And I declare to you today that I trust you. And I also declare to principalities and powers that my faith is in Jesus. His blood has set me free. And even though you might be continually at the heel of the Messiah, we know that he's going to crush your head. So God, have your way in our lives. Amen.